made, we're supposed to do what? Rejoice, Rejoice and be glad. I'm going to challenge you with that again. It says uh, in Psalm 33, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. You got three righteous people in here. You're righteous because of what he's done, not what you've done. Amen. So we should all be able to say amen. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Amen. For praise from the upright is beautiful. God looks at us as being beautiful when we praise Him. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. And play skillfully with a shout of joy. Now we're awake. For the word of the Lord is right. All His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now, over and over, he reminds us he's the creator in the word. And all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let the earth fear the Lord, and let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And that's just a few of us now. The world has long since forgotten this as a group. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. That's where we're headed. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Do you think the Lord needs to change? He don't need to change. He never changes. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It means receiver of divine favor. And you all know we're losing that because we've been going against God more and more. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks. All the inhabitants of the earth, he fashions their hearts individually, and he considers all their works. No king is saved by a multitude of an army. Did you hear that? No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is vain is a vain hope for safety neither shall it deliver any by its great strength jokingly but truthfully it's come out the last couple of times in the last studies and services you know God could just send hornets into this county and drive every one of us out he, he run out whole nations with just hornets that's who God is. He's that powerful. We don't get saved by our own strength. And that's what he's trying to get across to us. No horse, no army. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his mercy. To deliver their soul from death. And to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Let me read this one verse again. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him some praise. He does deserve all the glory. Amen. Let's give him praise, Lord. We praise you. So worthy, Lord. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your long-suffering, your patience, your gentleness, your kindness, your salvation, your healing, everything you give, Lord. We 
We bless your name for that. You're worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship. And the church said, Amen. Turn around, shake somebody's hand, and welcome them to church today. Children's church is dismissed. We have a nursery next door. It's a couple of couple of nurseries. I'll give you a public announcement. Uh, next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, <clears throat> I'll be preaching a special meeting in the mountains. So all the people at the satellite church will be going over to there. So if any of you want to come down, it's about a two-hour trip from here. Enough of you get together, we could run a bus even. Uh, but the, the, the host church is a guy who grew up under me, and the Lord's really using him. They're having a special meeting. They've asked me to speak. So you're welcome to come down and meet us there, or if you feel like and you'll be able to mix and mingle with the other folks that are at the satellite, they're going to be there. So uh, there's about, probably if, they all, if we can get them all together at once, there's probably about 40-some already in that satellite. So God's good, amen. So if you came down for that, you would actually, we'll get some information out to you this week. You would pass the town where the satellite's out and go to the next town, which is about 15 minutes past there. So uh, we'll talk some more about that later. How do you feel when you see that on the screen there? Yeah. Just look at it a few seconds there. Think about who that might be you're watching walk through there in hopes that we would peel some more of those off and they would go to the right. That's kind of a picture there. There's a couple, two or three people there leaning that way. Hopefully they're... Getting ready to go through there. This is a pictorial description of something Jesus said, right? Many are going to destruction and few are going the straight way toward heaven. We hear that, we think about it, but I think this picture kind of brings it home, don't it? A little bit. About how We're walking past people every day that are going, yeah. And that's right, there goes the harvest. Probably there's people in there you know, right? Most Most assuredly. Probably people in there that have the same last name as you and I. People in there that are blind, they're blind to the truth. The God of this world hath blinded them. People in there that are doing what Jesus cautioned us not to do, get caught up in this life, that that day would catch us off guard. Who's that person going that way? That's me, right? That guy's by himself out there? Hopefully you would say that's you, right? That's the reality. So the harvest is ready. What have you been doing with the harvest? Jesus said it was ready before the harvest was ready. You know, he was talking to his boys there, and they were thinking in the natural. They said four months down the road, the harvest will come. And Jesus said it was now. So the harvest is ready when? Now. You have people in your community, they're on the wrong path. You have people in your family, they're on the wrong path. You have people at work, or if you're retired where you go to have coffee. You have people all around you. There's no way that we're not all impacted by that if few are going this way and many are going that way. When I look at that, 
you have hope and sadness, don't you? Because you see there is a path to take us to God. And I would dare say that the cares of this life are distracting more people than other things. Because it's easy to reason through that, right? We don't need to get serious about God now, not at this point in life. We've got too much to do. We don't need to take time out of our week to spend time with God. We've got too much to do. Let's look at the first verse on the screen here. This girl followed Paul. It's hard for me to get in Acts 16, so I just wanted to shoot this. If I get in Acts 16, I want to preach it every Sunday. I could preach Acts 16 and Psalm 84 every other week. Uh, the girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And I, I'll give you this idea, so if you steal it, I'm suing you. Uh, I've said this many times. <clears throat> Did I say I was going to sue you? That just come out. That was the flesh. <laughs> Well, I'm going to create a t-shirt that says, get in the way. Get in the way. Get in the way. Someday. With the, with the fig of the loom underwear as well. They're showing them the way of salvation. I just showed you pictorial of the way. If you read the book of Acts, they talk about that a lot. They say these people are in the way. And they show to us the way more excellent. Just a lot of talk about the way. In fact, uh, the guy in California who's over the four square who passed away, uh, Jack Hayford, that was the name of his church. It was called the Church on the Way. The way. You and I are, if we're a believer, you're in the right way. If you've surrendered your life to Christ and asked him to forgive you of your sins and invited him to be the Lord of your life, you're in the way. You're in the good way. But most people are not in the way. And what's happened to the church over time, the culture usually swallows up the church. Right? I mean, where are all those churches in the New Testament? I told you the one at Ephesus, God gave them a warning they didn't heed it. And was it 40 or 80 years later, they were, there was nothing left. The Corinthian church was swallowed up by immorality. And over and over, the culture just keeps swallowing up the church. And the reason the church gets swallowed up is because it does not make its foundation the word of God and pleasing God, many churches switch the whole idea of ministry and design it to please people. We call that diluting. If I dilute something, my little granddaughter likes coffee. She's not yet three years old. She's hyped up enough without it. <laughs> but as a good grandfather, I give her a little bit of coffee. <laughs> but you know what I do? I dilute it. I water it down. She looks big with her little coffee cup. But she has a diluted form of coffee. Very diluted. When you dilute something, you lessen the power of it, the impact. Let me tell you why the church started diluting things. Because the family did first. The family said, I... Going to church in the week, eh, we got other things to do. We'll go somewhere. We'll go to church next week. 
the church just, or the family just continued to dilute things. And then over time, the church fell into that. Why? Because the church is made up of families. That's what we're made of. God intended for us to be a community. And so when you read the book of Philippians, it's all about the gospel. Everything we do should be centered around the gospel. That's, that's, that's hard to think about, isn't it? Jesus said when you have a big dinner, do what? Invite the people who can't pay you back. The lame, the halt, the poor. <clears throat> we don't do that very much, do we? We usually invite people that will pay the next time, right? Nothing wrong with having friends. I'm not saying that, but I'm just trying to see where we start diluting the process in our own lives, and then it carries over. That's why, I mean, it's sad to me to see where all these churches are not now. And we're the last man standing, so to speak, in, in America. We're diluting our way fast. But if you go to England and Europe, it's bad. And God's always got a remnant, and that's what you and I want to be a part of. Amen. We want to be a part of that remnant. <clears throat> and God's not really asking a whole lot of us, is He? I mean, He's not asking any of us to die on a cross. He's not asking any of us to give up every possession we have. He's just really the first thing and the main thing He's asking is for us to just stand with His Word. That's what He's asking. He wants us to stay in the way and try to get others to get in the way. There's nothing more important than you and I will do than lead somebody who's going the wrong way to get in the right way. Maybe your family member, maybe a friend, maybe a co-worker, maybe somebody you've met for the first time that you know God has set that moment up. When you look at that picture that we showed you earlier, when you see that, it brings it home. I don't know what percentage of my family is on their way to heaven, but if I went out through all the tree branches, I'd say the statistic's probably not great. My grandfather got saved. Both of my grandfathers got saved. But they came from backgrounds where it was not real great. Somebody finally turned the generation around. Will that be you? Will that be me? How serious should we be about God? If you look at your own life, if I look at my own life, if I have to say about my attendance to God, and I'm not talking about attendance in the way of being in this building, but I'm talking about attending to God, right? If, my, if, if I look at my life and I have to look at how I'm attending to God and I have to say I used to, it's not a good thing. I used to pray more. I used to spend more time in the Word. We're kind of getting out of the way a little bit when we start letting those things happen in our lives. So we want to look at getting in the way, taking others in the way. We want to make sure we stand for God's word. I, you shouldn't have any reservation about standing for what Jesus has told us. If you understand who he is in your life, that you and I wouldn't have anything without him, that should keep you from having any reservation about standing up for the truth. In John chapter 14, this is Jesus, this is familiar to us. He gives us some good words here. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now again, he's come on the scene proclaiming to be the only begotten son of God. He's come on the scene to say he is God, he's part of the Godhead. 
there's been a lot of people waiting for him. I'm sure some are thinking, I can't believe it. He's finally here. I'm sure saying, there were many who were saying he's an imposter. This can't be him. He come from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And isn't his father a carpenter over here? And on and on and on and on. Oh, he's a good teacher, but hey, son of God, that's taking it too far. God in the flesh? So he's saying to these people who are troubled, he says, and, and you're going to be troubled at times, you know that? You're going to have some trouble. Uh, there's an old song I'm telling my age here. It says, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. <laughs> Neither did Jesus. In fact, he promised just the opposite. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord will deliver him out of them all. And you're going to find some trouble in this life. Job told us about that. We're talking about that on Wednesdays. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, it would be better translated rooms. It's going to be some nice rooms because they're related as mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Some days... That's the best word you can have. You know that? Some days, that is the best thing you can remind yourself of. Because some days are hard. Some days are bad. Some days are sad. Had a wedding yesterday. And the thing about a wedding is this. For about 30 minutes, it feels like there's nothing wrong in the world. You ever notice that? You go to a wedding, unless one of them runs out right in the middle of it, <laughs> then it feels like everything's wrong. <laughs> but if you go to a wedding, a Christian wedding, it's like just for about 30 minutes, everything's right in the world. Everybody's making the right commitments. Everybody's saying the right things. Everybody's excited. Everybody's happy. And then you come outside and realize everything's not all right in the world. Sometimes the best thing you'll remember that'll help you the most will be this line right here. I will come again and receive you to myself. Because there's things that go on that are out of our control, right? I mean, you just, they just happen. Life happens. The devil throws curveballs. We swing and miss. Hits us right between the eyes. And God was back behind us saying, I told you to let that pitch go. Let that one go. Let it go. He said, I'll come again and receive you to myself. And there where I am, there you may be also. Is there anything better in life than hearing that? The God of the universe sent his son to take away our sins, to make sure that we had eternal life offered to us. And then he said, those of you who will choose that, I'm going to come back and bring you to where we're at. Is there any better line than that? There's not. And sometimes when the doctor comes in and says, I can't help you. <clears throat> or your financial advisor says, it's like magic. I looked up and poof, it was all gone. <laughs> Those are bad days. Those are bad days when you... Wake up on the ambulance and he says, Mr. Robbins, your blood pressure is 200 over 120. And you're so addled, you thought 120 don't sound too bad. That's what I thought, but it's the wrong end. Bad days come to all of us. And sometimes nobody can say the right thing. And that was a problem with Job's friends. They were doing the right thing just sitting there. And being there. They were just being. You know what our problem is? We can't just be. We're always got something to say or got to do something. Those guys would have been better off just kept being and let Job start the process of talking. They started going after him. So sometimes the best line you'll ever hear is right there. When nobody can console you and I. Right there. And he says, and where I go, you know, and you know the way. 
And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Again, Jesus is talking spiritual things a lot. They're not picking up on it until he just drills it right down. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, he just said he was the way. And that's why that word is used so much in the book of Acts. When you and I get in the way, we're in him. So that kind of passed around the culture of their time. They knew people were in the way. And when they used that terminology, they understood it was about this new prophet on the scene whom we know to be the son of the Most High God. He is the way. He is the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we don't come to Christ, we miss the whole reason for being. Never been up. You may be good at what you do. You may leave people a lot of stuff when you go out of here. But if you don't come to Christ, you miss your main reason for being. You missed it. And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Let's put this uh, prayer journey, the tabernacle, up real quick. Nobody comes to the Father unless you come through me. Now, I'm going to be real vocal and real stern here. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but my voice goes around the globe now, so I want to be real clear here. There's one door right there. Only one. You got to come through that door, and that door represents Christ. He said, I'm the door to the sheepfold. He said, I'm the only way. And if you're going to get to God, which is represented back here by the ark, this is where God manifests himself. If you're going to get to the presence of God, you got to come through the door. And if you're going to come through the door, Jesus said, I'm the door, you got to come through Jesus. Let me tell you who has to come through that door. The rich, the poor. Whatever your skin color is, it doesn't matter. The Bible says every nation's got the same blood in them. God made some people very white. He made some people very dark. And he made some people on the whole scale everywhere in between. That should not be a point of pride for you. And it should not be a point of contention as well. You're just a human being made in the image of God. He just likes variety of color. That's all there is to it. You're not special because you're white, and you're not special because you're black or anywhere else on that scale. You're special because God created you individually. We read that in that opening psalm. He created you individually. That's why you're special. You and I are not special by the skin color we have or by the clothes we wear. Everybody comes through that door, rich, poor, Lame, halt, blind, the healthiest person. Everybody had to come through that door. It didn't matter what your status was. It's still the same today. Mohammed is dead. He's going to stay there. Buddha is dead. In fact, I'll give a little credit to Buddha. He never claimed to be deity. They made him deity 700 years after he died. He's, but he's still in the grave. Confucius, same thing. All these false prophets and false Christ over the years... They're all in the grave. Jesus Christ is the only one that's risen from the dead, proven both by the text of your Bible, by the Jews who also testified to it, and those in their, in their day, the priests, everything. He came out of that grave. The, I was trying to say the Romans. The Romans, the Jews, and the text of your Bible verify that Jesus came out of that grave. Let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. I'm not bashful. I do not apologize for being stern about this. If you're going to go to heaven, you've got to come through Jesus Christ. You cannot be ashamed of him or his words. He said, if you're ashamed of me and what I say, he said, I will be ashamed of you. There's no plainer talk than that. So this Bible you and I have, the text of the, the canonized Bible, is the word of God to us.
And it is the one and the same. Jesus said he was the Word made flesh, right? John, one of the epistles of John said there's three in heaven, the Father, the Spirit, and the Word. It calls Jesus the Word. So you and I, all, there's, there's no tricks to this. There's no, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm treated differently. No, you're not. You've got to come through that door. That's, that's the bottom line. I understand why we say things like we say because people congregate and sometimes there are language barriers from whether it's a, a Latino church or a white church. I understand that. But the church is not divided. The true church is not. We're all one and the same. We're all the same community. Doesn't matter what, where we came from or what our skin color is. And so we've all got to come through this door. You're not the exception. I'm not the exception. I didn't get saved because... I grew up around Christians. I got saved because I walked through that door who is Jesus Christ and I believed in what He said and I believed that He rose from the dead and I accepted Him as my Lord and Savior and I asked Him to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and I said, I will follow you from now on. Now, will you want to follow a dead man like Mohammed? Or do you want to follow somebody who's alive and in heaven right now and getting ready to come back for you? Mohammed ain't coming back for you. Confucius ain't coming back for you. Or anybody else. The only one that's coming back for his bride is Jesus Christ. And all these false religions around the globe are propped up by demonic activity. They're not just fictitious things. Who do you think the deceiver is? The Bible tells us who the deceiver is. Satan is the deceiver. And he, the Bible calls him the God of this world with a little g. And he calls, it says he's blinded their eyes because he's got people caught up in all the wrong things. Jesus Christ is the only way. If you're going to go to the Father, you must come through him. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, look what Jesus said. This comes back to the frame of reference we started with here. In math, in, uh, with the picture. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, <clears throat> he says, Enter in by the narrow gate. Uh, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Let's show this other picture. There are few who find it. Narrow is the way to the, to the... Now that's what Jesus is saying. This way, we didn't show you that on the first picture, but this way leads to destruction, and this way leads to life. Now, if those people really understood what destruction was, they'd get off that path. But the devil don't tell them that, right? He don't say, hey... I'm going to let you have a good life for so long, then I'm planning on killing you dead and taking you to hell. That don't come out. Because the devil's a deceiver. So this guy or that gal, they think they own life. Nobody owns life except for God. But they think they own it. And that's probably the biggest deception, right? I own my own life. I own life in general. I've got a plan here and I'm going to work it out. But our plans don't always come to pass. A fellow who grew up in my neck of the woods, when the uh, coal industry suffered back in the 60s, a lot of folks went north to these car factories. Dayton, Ohio, on into Michigan. I've got a lot of family in Michigan because when the coal mines went out, there's nothing else for them to do. Well, this particular gentleman <clears throat> decided to leave his family and spend 30 years away from him. <clears throat> he had a big plan. <clears throat> Instead of taking his family with him, he would come in when he could. So he missed everything. He missed birthdays. He missed ball games. He missed academic things. But his plan was, when he got retired, he was going to come back and make it all up to him. Laid up a good store of money, but spent about 30 years away from his family. He came home, and within 30 days, he'd passed away. 
None of us have the promise of tomorrow. I found that out, right? None of us have the promise of tomorrow. So that person or persons that we're seeing on that path there, that's why today is the day of salvation. You see all that multitude going to the left there? None of them have the promise of tomorrow. Now, they've all probably planned for it. But none of those folks have the promise of tomorrow. Neither does that one person by themselves. But the good news for them is they're in the right path. And if they die, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. They, but none of those people have the promise of tomorrow. You don't, I don't. I mean, you know, I've seen everything being in the ministry this long. I think one of the hardest things I watch is for a parent to lay to rest their child. Nobody wants to do that. I hate for my children to have to bury me because you got these bonds, right? But as a parent, I don't want to bury my children before I go. That's hard to watch. It's a hard thing to go through. Think about Job, what we're studying on Wednesday night. Bury them all at one service. All ten of them. But none of us have the promise of tomorrow. I have done funerals from just a little bit, a few days old to 99. I buried somebody who was 99 and everywhere in between. Buried people, children, teenagers, young adults, middle-aged folks, older folks, really old folks, and really young. If that bothers you, maybe it should. It should help us carry a burden for the lost. What do you think is most important to God? The lost. Reaching the lost. He, his son died so the lost could go to heaven. Now there's all kinds of benefits that come along with God. But if you miss heaven, what else matters? Even Jesus said that, right? He said if a man gained the whole world and loses his soul, there's no profit in that. So Jesus, he's making it clear that he's the way. And then he tells us how this way, and that word narrow is to know. It's a narrowing way. It's a difficult way because it's not, it's, it's stripping us of us and it's, it narrows in on us. So that as we walk that way, that narrowing way, that there'll be less of me and more of God. That's, that's the whole design. Get in that way, become born again, saved, redeemed, however you want to say that. Get in that way and let that way do its work in your life. That's, that's where we get the words. Uh, stenosis and things like that where things narrow out like arteries and things and so this way is a narrowing way because contrary to what you may think when you look in the mirror the world don't need to see any of us they need to see Jesus in us that's what they need to see and so the more we walk that path the more less of us and more of him and John said it better than we could, right? He must increase, I must decrease. That's the way we should live our lives. Are you doing that? Is there less of you now, or do you still have too high of opinion of yourself? The Bible says, let a man think more highly of himself than he ought. Because all of us stand and breathe on God's will, not our own. Now, let's go to Acts 20. He talked about the false prophet in the next verse there. He says, beware of false prophets. So that's interesting that he would caution us uh, to beware of false prophets on the heels of telling us the two different ways. Because false prophets will lead you down the wrong path. And we have a culture that's full of false prophets. You remember a few, about a year or so ago, a couple of years ago, I told you a little story about something in my circle. And I told you a story about how that I was concerned about some of the teaching of this kingdom stuff. That 
everything Jesus taught is already past, the end of time and all that stuff. And if that's not, stuff's not really going to happen. Well, that teaching has continued to further on and it's gotten so far that they're teaching there's not a literal heaven and a hell now. What happens when you get in bad teaching, it just keeps getting deeper. It's, it's like any other sin. When you twist God's word, and that's something we ought to be careful about, it takes you deeper and further. You start leaving out parts, adding to, and there's some two strong cautions about adding to God's word or taking away from it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 25, Paul says something very similar to what Jesus was saying. He said, Indeed, now I know that, you all, uh, that all you among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. So he knows he's not coming back this way. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. That's a big statement. Can you say that? Have you witnessed to that person that you've kept putting off and putting off and putting off? The work's not done in this building. The work's done out there. That's where the real work goes on. Out there. He says, I testify to you this day I am innocent of the blood of all men. What a statement. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And that's something I've always tried to be careful to do, to preach the whole Bible. Not just the parts that everybody wants to hear and not just the parts people don't want to hear, but try to preach the whole counsel of the Word. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. For I know... Now, Jesus just cautioned us about false prophets. He says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing... The flock. So there's going to be people. And Jesus told us there's going to be people that are going to come and say, yeah, that I'm the Christ. They're going to say that Jesus is the Christ, but they're going to have bad motives. And they're going to have bad teaching. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. He said, right in your own group, people are going to get sidetracked and do the wrong things. To draw away the disciples after themselves because they want to make their own kingdom. So we're getting cautioned to watch out for bad teaching. Now, I've got a couple of books I'm reading right now. But I don't ever allow books to interfere with my Bible time. Bible time has to be first. Because it's more than just knowledge and information. Jesus said the words I speak are spirit and life. So you're giving yourself life in the spirit realm by taking in his word. So do not allow other things to take the place of reading a Bible. We we'll draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone and day with tears. That's how stern he was about this. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's what his job was. He said, I am here basically to keep you in the way for you to be on guard because that way is straight and narrowing. Now there's a reason the, uh, that the way, there's another main reason why it's straight and narrow is because it's distinctive. In other words, if you're looking for something, you can find it. All these other paths are broad, going every which way, but there's one path, Jesus said, that's straight and stenos. It will distinguish that path from you, for you. So that you will not be deceived. And the way this path is distinguished is through the word of God. He says, I am free from the blood of everybody. I commend you to God and word of grace, which is to build up you, give you an inheritance among the sanctified. So he's telling us to stay in the way. And be on guard. 
Now, we're in a culture that we really have to be on guard. Because there's so many ways to get information into our lives now. So that's why I encourage you to make sure you get grounded in God's Word so you can spot people who are getting off track. You'll be able to tell it when they get off track. One of the things that was disappointing to me when I went back to uh, seminary, after I'd been in the ministry for years, I took time to go through seminary because I love to learn. But I was already grounded in the Word of God because I'd been doing this for years already. But I sat in classes at times with people who weren't fresh, new. And what I was disappointed about is how many professors were uh, more eager to sell their books and to promote their own material than they were God's Word. That was bothersome to me. And then I watched some bad doctrine from time to time. And I watched those who weren't grounded in the Word just soak it in. And I was, had been grounded in the Word, so I was able to identify it. But our seminaries have done what most of our education has done, and, and our country as a whole, we've kind of drifted, we've diluted things over time. Now, what's at stake? The lost. If the church loses her way, if you and I lose our way, then how can we show them the way? And that's what's happened in our culture. We've diluted things so badly. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Let me show you something here in Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 26. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. He's the way. Look what he says. Warning every man warning them, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me, in me mightily. That's what he's doing. He's out trying to win the lost and bring them into the way. He's warning and teaching. Warning and teaching. Now I think we would all agree that the Apostle Paul is the chief disciple, the most prolific apostle. He wrote most of the New Testament under the direction of the Holy Spirit, of course. And he's saying, here's what I do. I warn and I teach. Now, I want to take you to the book of Jude. The Holy Spirit just quickened this to me. Uh, in the book of Jude, it's the last book before you get to Revelation. In the book of Jude, verse 22, this verse was quickened to me. There's only one chapter. But in verse 22, in the book of Jude, here's what he tells us to do. After he's given us a spiel about Again, false prophets and people coming in with bad doctrine to the church. He gives us this word. Paul said, I'm warning and teaching people that I can present people complete before Christ. Right? Then he says, and some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now what you'll find, if you dig deep enough in this verse here in the Greek language, you'll find that there's one messenger and two messages. That's important. Because if you go to churches, 
You know, there are some churches that don't even use the Old Testament at all. I would say, in fact, most churches have moved into that realm now. And then there are some churches that don't ever teach anything controversial. I know I've heard out of my own ears preachers who say, I'll never teach Revelation. Some who say, I never teach on prophecy. That means you've just done away with a third of the Bible when you say that. But here in this case, this is one messenger with two messages. You, I grew up hearing some of this. <clears throat> some would say, you know, I just preach love. Jesus is love. God is love. And that's the only way I minister. And then you've got those guys that preach only hellfire and brimstone. Have anybody ever been around somebody like that? You feel like your hair is going to catch on fire before you get out of the building? <laughs> like the preacher, he preached hellfire and brimstone and... He asked everybody if they wanted to go to heaven. Everybody but one guy raised his hand. So he run back there to him and said, Man, what is wrong? He said, You don't want to go to heaven like the rest? He said, Well, yeah, I do. He said, But the way you was preaching, I thought you was getting a load today to go. <laughs> what I would say to you is, they're both out of balance. You've got to preach both sides of the message. Paul said, I warn and I teach. Jude said here, you're going to use some people are going to be touched by compassion, and some people are going to respond to the warning when they realize what's at stake. Right? You all know people like that. You may have people like that in your own family. Some that have been won to Christ because they just realize the love that he has. And some they realize, hey, I'm on my way to hell. I need to do something about that. So both Sides are out of balance. If you only preach one side of the gospel. You know Jesus talked about heaven. But he even talked more about hell. Jesus warned people. He was constantly warning them. Warnings are used in every facet of life. Right? What do they tell you with health issues? Watch for the what? The warning signs. What do they tell you on road signs? They're there to do what? Warn you. They're there to tell you that deer have crossed here before, right? Of course, they don't know that deer can cross anywhere they want to. We have me found that out with your vehicle. I had one try to get in the back seat. Everything has warnings with it, right? There's nothing. We shouldn't feel agitated or upset with God. Because he spends much of his word warning us. Why would he do that? Well, number one, he's full of love, right? That comes back to his love. I, I've said this many times, and some of you uh, have fed this back to me. If you're standing on the side of the road and you know the bridge is out ahead, are you going to flag people down or are you just going to let them go? What are you doing? You're warning them. If you love them. See, some reason we got this idea because we got a bunch of sissies and babies in this culture that warning somebody doesn't have anything to do with love. But the Bible is just the opposite of the culture. You found that out? The Bible says if we love our children, we'll discipline them. Now the world disagrees with that for the most part now. But the Bible equates these kinds of things with love. In fact, the Bible says that God disciplines those whom He loves. If you're that person and you're so perfect, you've been, you don't get this one, you don't belong to Him. Because if you go on and read the rest of that, He said, of whom all are partakers. So if you belong to God, the first thing you need to realize is you're not perfect and you're going to get a spanking every now and then. And if you act like you don't get spankings, you might with a check to see if you belong to him. So the way the world dictates love and the way the Bible teaches love, love, do, do I love those people if I just let them go? Knowing the bridge is out? I should warn them. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm trying to warn people because I know my voice goes out into places that people need to be warned. And it is so difficult to not be distracted in the kind of world we live in. It's a challenge for all of us. 
And it's not just that stuff out there. It's our own stuff that gets in God's way. That's the biggest challenge, I think, for church folks, if I can say it that way. It's not out there. It's your own life just getting too busy and meaning too much to you that God can always be put off. Think about that. Think about putting God off. Think about what that means in your life. And so Jesus cautions us. In Luke 21 there, he says, don't get caught up in the cares of this life that that day would catch you off guard. We got to guard against other things being too important to us. And we got to be willing to share the gospel. Now how do we, I took you in the valley, I'm getting ready to bring you out. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. As I was pondering all this this morning, I was just starting to think last night and this morning, I was thinking about how good is God to me. You know what? God has never let me down. Now, I've let him down. Let me know what I'm talking about. But he's never let me down. And I'm thankful when God gives me a warning. I'm thankful when I have warnings from people who know me. They say, you might not want to do that. Has anybody ever had a good friend that said, hey, that's not a good idea, right? That's because they love us, right? You might not want to try that. You might not want to do that because they're trying to give us a warning, right? One day I was on the road back to college uh, and I was, it's nighttime, it was a two-lane road and I usually take the middle of the road, right? And you can see headlights coming. <clears throat> but somehow, I was in the middle of the road this particular time. And it, the Holy Spirit didn't speak audibly, but it may as well have been audible. He said, slow down and get way over. I didn't see anything coming, but I knew that was the voice of the Lord. And so I did exactly what, he, what I heard in my spirit. I heard that in my spirit. And when I heard that in my spirit, I got slowed down and got over as far as I could get. And, and there was a hill there that you wouldn't probably see the lights until they were... but Which I probably would have still been okay if it would have been a normal situation. But it wasn't. When I got over and slowed down, the headlights of an oncoming vehicle topped that hill. And it looked like their wheels come off the ground. It was an ambulance flying had I not listened to the Holy Spirit they would have had to probably called another ambulance to get the people out of that ambulance and me I'm glad the Holy Spirit warned me saved me a lot of pain if not even death warnings are not bad things they put them on everything you buy because they care, right? There's warnings on everything. Everything you and I buy. We shouldn't look at the Bible or God's Word and say, Oh, they're too serious about this, telling us that there's an eternal fire or that, that people are, most people are going to... That's, that's a warning. What's wrong? It, 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 uh, <laughs> Why do people... Want everybody to tell them the truth, but their preacher. You don't want to go to your financial advisor and you've lost everything you got, and him look you in the eye and say, "Everything looks good for here," and you're broke, right? You don't want to go to a doctor who finds a tumor the size of a volleyball and says, "Everything's good." Stop at the Dollar General on the way home and get some little debbies and have at it. Nobody wants that kind of advice from anybody else in their life, but yet when it comes to the church, they want us to sit down and shut up. God warns us over and over and over. And if I'm going to be a faithful minister, I'm going to warn the people as well. So I'm going to get you out of the valley and then I'm going to close. <clears throat> This is what came to me. It says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That door keeps coming up in the Bible. Coming through the door where the presence of God is, you're going to be shaken. I don't care how holy you think you are or how holy I think I am. We still have not tapped into the real holiness of who God is. It's hard to just imagine somebody standing with a being that is totally pure, totally holy, totally righteous. When we encounter His righteousness from time to time, it shakes us. Now the reason Isaiah is here seeking the Lord is because Uzziah died. And Uzziah had been a good king. He got crossways there at the end, cost him his life, by the way. But he'd been a good king and Isaiah was concerned about the, the welfare of God's people. He was their prophet. And so God shows up with His throne, fills the temple. And basically, what God is saying, and here's what you got to know. When you're standing with God, you may get some flack over it. I'm not saying you won't get flack over it. I've had flack over it in the last 10 days. But you're standing on good ground. Because what God was basically saying to Isaiah, He said, it don't matter if the throne is empty down there, what matters is I'm still on my throne up here. Amen? Listen, I don't care how many laws they pass against God's Word. I don't care how dark it gets in the world. I don't care how many uh, a, a, a magnetic pulses they put in the grid. God is going to take care of His people. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will back us up. He will stay on our side. There will be light in Goshen when the rest of Egypt is dark. He will cause us to shine. He is on our side. And He will never let you down. God has never let us down. And He will never let us down in the future. Can you give Him praise for that? Just stand to our feet. God wants you and I to be soldiers, alright? We're in a war. And I understand that it's gotten way more intense than it has been. We, we live in a culture, America has probably been the last group standing for the gospel as a group, as a nation, and we're losing our way too. I understand that. You and I can't lose our way. we got to stay in the way. And there are people who are lost all around us that are going down that broad way. They're going the broad way, and you know some of them. And I know some of them. And we need to warn and teach them. We need to save some with compassion and some hating the garment, the fire, pulling them out of the fire. People respond differently. You listen, if you've raised children, you know that. They're different. They've all got their own personalities. And so God wants us to make ourselves available because that path that's going the wrong way has way too many people in it. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this moment. And I know, Lord, that those that are watching, those that will get this podcast, Lord, I pray that they'll be stirred to be warned, folks, Lord, of, of the way, of going the wrong way. I pray we know that the bridge is out in this world, Lord. We all know that. Help us to be faithful to tell them that the bridge is out, Lord. we got people all around us in different groups, Lord, whether it's family or work or social circles or in our communities, Lord. They're not in the way. They're not in the way. If they're anything, they're in the wrong way. And the wrong things are too important to them, Lord. Help that not to be to captivate our lives where the wrong things are too, are too important to us. May we keep everything in perspective. May we make sure that we don't keep diluting things in our families, in our personal lives, that it would run off into our churches. Help us, Lord, to stand firm and help us to know that we can't have you without standing with your word. Give us strength we need to do that. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice that needs to surrender your life to Christ, we invite you to do that now.
If there's anybody that's in the prodigal situation, you just need to come on back home. The Father's waiting on you right here. Whatever your situation is, maybe you're here and you know you need to warn somebody and you need to pray for the strength to do that. Maybe you're here and you just need to bring some names before the Lord, the people who are lost. As we open this altar, please come and do what you need to do with the Lord. In Jesus' name.